Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, guys. Good morning, guys. On Friday, the Fed's favorite inflation gauge, the Personal Consumption Expenditures Price Index, that's a big one, said price increased only 0.2% in December and rose 2.9% on a yearly basis. That's down from 3.2%, and it makes the 12-month rate a three-year low. It was last seen in March 2021. So inflation is still up, but progressing lower to the Fed's inflation target of 2%. This means the Fed could start lowering interest rates soon. However, the market was basically flat on the news. Why isn't the stock market responding with a rally? Is it because shipping rates are increasing as the Houthis keep firing on cargo ships in the Red Sea? And are we going to see another jump in inflation soon? I think you're in this period of time where you're getting just a lot of conflicting variables and it moves far beyond what you're just looking at with the Fed. And I'll even do you one better with some of the Fed numbers, even though I have been very vocal about the fact that regular inflation, as as measured by the CPI, is going to stick north of 3% for a little while. Core PCE, which is the Fed's obviously preferred measure of inflation, that was 2% exactly on a rolling three and six month basis. So even on a shorter term time frame. So some of these numbers are getting into the variables in which the Fed is probably going to feel like they can cut interest rates. Can and will, however, are very different words. Um, because last week, the, third, the fourth quarter GDP number came in, and it was far stronger than anticipated at plus 3.3%. Government spending only added about a half a percent. Um, and it was far better than some previous GDP reports because personal consumption and uh, a build in inventories, which was somewhat unexpected, actually were the factors that drove GDP higher, which is a very welcoming type of sign rather than having government spending push GDP numbers higher. So you're in this construct with, again, full employment, even though we get another uh, employment report on Friday, which is another opportunity to revise last month's employment report down again. Um, But a lot of these other variables don't necessarily support the Fed lowering rates. So the question really becomes, does the Fed lower rates simply because they can, because some of these inflation numbers are, are lower? The bond market would potentially argue that the Fed should do that. However, the economic data that's actually trending out there right now is suggesting that the Fed doesn't really need to lower uh, interest rates because... Yeah, it is pretty strong. You're right. Yeah. Your point. Um, and when you look out, right, uh, the jawboning that they've done the whole way down, right, uh, and the whole way up has been excellent. Um, they're probably doing a little bit of that right now. I agree. We're going to see a cut, but it's not going to be as many as the markets are anticipating right now. Um, when you look out, um, you know, uh, I, I think the jawboning continues. And, you know, we're really in that sweet spot of inflation coming down right now, right? So, you know, the more they talk, um, I think rates settle in here. I, I wouldn't be surprised to settle in, as we spoke many times, you know, that 390 to 430, let's say, on that 10-year treasury. And uh, and the dollar strengthening, right? I mean, you got dollar euro today, dollar 08. That's pretty strong. So we're in a good spot. Yeah. So what about shipping rates going up? That's gonna That has the potential to push CPI higher. That really doesn't impact core PCE all that much. So that could potentially 
move the needle on the headline CPI number, but as long as housing continues to deflate, which are kind of in that construct right now, that is going to be a bigger driver to knock inflation lower versus shipping rates going up, even though the shipping rates going up are obviously going to be a tailwind to push inflation higher. Okay. Um, This month's sell-off in China's benchmark CSI 300 index brings its plunge to a brutal 40% over the past three years. That's a $6 trillion stock market route. So why is the Chinese stock market crashing? What does it mean for the world's second largest economy? And how do you approach investing in China, guys? Well, look, we've been incredibly uh, underexposed to China for quite some time. Um, you know, those markets uh, appear to be everyone's darling. Last decade, this decade, they've substantially underperformed, as you have mentioned. Um, you know, the, the problem with investing in, in countries like China is that you have a lot of boom bust, just like America, you know, in the 1800s, you have a lot of boom bust cycles before you really get there. And don't forget, at the end of the day, there's still a, you know, a, a communist regime, right? So there, there's obviously structural issues there. Um, I, I think when you look at their markets, though, um, you know, obviously today uh, with Evergrande out and, uh, you know, a, a huge um, bankruptcy there that really looked almost impossible to digest, uh, let's say, five years ago and even 10 years ago, right, when it was first mentioned. I think you got to go back to 2015 and really look at the problems China faced at that time when they when they went for a three trillion dollar bailout of their markets, which was huge. And obviously it worked short term. Uh, now, you know, they're talking about putting in about $280 billion, I think that's about $2.1 trillion yuan uh, into the economy. Um, and, you know, to, to look at it, it bail out that way, it's lighter, way lighter than that package in 15. You also have some interesting movements in stocks, specifically in China. You know, last week when that package was announced, uh, the Chinese index has bounced pretty hard. And really gave up just about all of their gains uh, going into that bounce. So if you're a value investor long term, don't forget stocks are generally 18 months ahead of market turns, uh, economic turns rather. You know, I think if you're a value investor and you for the long term get in at these to a little bit lower levels, you're going to make a great 10 years down the road from now. Um, But there are substantial headwinds. Uh, We know that, you know, currency flows affect that. And also... Don't discount uh, markets globally uh, pricing in a Trump presidency. And what does that look at the overhang uh, for the Chinese markets as well? Uh, maybe the strength in the, in the dollar that we've seen. So I think you have a couple things below the scenes. Would I touch it yet? Um, not yet, but I'm close. I, I think a, a few bad days and for a long term investor with a small percentage, uh, you can be OK. But it's tough to invest in markets that at the end of the day. Uh, have a to- totalitarian uh, leadership uh, and uh, can really, uh, you know, have capital uh, seizures and whatnot. So, um, you know, it's, uh, I like liquidity. We like democratic governments uh, and we like to have free flows of capital uh, globally. And um, I, I think, you know, when you take into effect where their markets are, what happened, the volatility, what's next uh, globally, um, it's going to be in the penalty box, as Michael says, for a little bit here. Yeah, I, I agree. You, mo- you almost want to have this selling kind of come to a head with everything there. Yeah. Um, 
and a really big volatility moment that gives you more of an opportunity to buy. I mean, if you're talking about where to you're differentiate probably value, price, right? All close in price, but not in time. Yeah. Well, you want to talk about time. This is the one thing that I was going to say because I think your recap was just so good and so spot on. The FXI, which is a, a, an ETF that measures China as a proxy, has erased 17 years worth of gains wow. at this point in time, which is really remarkable in the grand context and scheme of things. And I continue to go back to China's demographics and their one-child policy as Spot one on. of these reasons that you're going to see these issues long-term for them. Meanwhile, uh, in Japan, right, the Nikkei is at all-time highs, right, going uh, back to 1989. Uh, and look at India, you know, really on fire. So, um, and these are countries that are, you know, really investable uh, and, and have free capital flows in and out. And, um, you know, probably, no, not probably, are our investable allies, as we say, uh, no matter who's next in the administration. Okay. Well, thanks, guys. That was great. And if you'd like to submit a question, send it to our email address, which is question at QQuestionTuesday.com, and we'll be back next week.